Chapter Twenty Three of Dawn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sunny. Dawn by Eleanor H. Porter. Chapter Twenty Three. John McGuire. So imperative was the knock at the kitchen door at six o'clock that July morning that Susan almost fell down the back stairs in her haste to obey the summons. "'Land sakes, Miss McGuire, what a start you did give! Why, Miss McGuire, what is it?' She interrupted herself aghast as Mrs. McGuire, white-faced and wild-eyed, swept past her, began to pace up and down the kitchen floor, moaning frenziedly. "'It's come, it's come, I knew it would come. Oh, what shall I do, what shall I do?' "'What's come?' "'Oh, John, John, my boy, my boy, you don't mean he's—' dead no no worse than that worse than that moaned the woman wringing her hands oh what shall i do what shall i do with a firm grasp susan caught the twisting fingers and gently but resolutely forced their owner into a chair do you just calm yourself right down and tell me all about it miss mcguire this rampaging around the kitchen like this don't do no sort of good and it's awful on your nerves and furthermore and moreover no matter what it is that ails your john it can't be worse than death for while there's life there's hope you know but it is it is i tell you sobbed mrs mcguire still swaying her body back and forth susan my boy is blind with the utterance of the dread word mrs mcguire stiffened suddenly into rigid horror her eyes staring straight into susan's "'Miss McGuire!' breathed Susan in dismay, then hopefully. "'But maybe it was a mistake!' The woman shook her head. She went back to her swaying from side to side. "'No, it was a dispatch. It came this morning, just now. Mr. McGuire was gone, and there wasn't anybody there but the children, and they're asleep. That's why I came over. I had to. I had to talk to someone.' of course you did and you shall you poor lamb you should tell me all about it what was it what happened i don't know i just know he's blind and that he's coming home he's on his way now my john blind oh susan what shall i do what shall i do then he probably ain't sick or hurt anywheres else if he is on his way home leastwise he ain't hurt bad you can be glad for that mrs mcguire i don't know i don't know maybe he is it didn't say it just said blinded chattered mrs mcguire feverishly they get them home just as soon as they can when they're blinded we were reading about it only yesterday in the paper how they did send em home right away oh how little i thought that my son john would be one of em my john but your john ain't the only one miss mcguire there's other johns too look at our keith here i know i know and i wonder how he'll take this about your john he'll know what it means choked mrs mcguire he sure will and he'll feel bad i know he ain't himself anywhere these days he ain't mrs mcguire asked the question abstractly her mind plainly on her own trouble but susan intent on her trouble did not need even the question to spur her tongue no he ain't 
oh he's brave and cheerful he's awful cheerful even cheerfuler than he was a month ago he's too cheerful miss mcguire there's something back of it i don't like he but mrs mcguire was not listening wringing her hands she had sprung to her feet and was pacing the floor again moaning oh what shall i do what shall i do a minute later only weeping afresh at susan's every effort to comfort her she stumbled out of the kitchen and hurried across the yard to her own door watching her from the window susan drew a long sigh i wonder how he will take but land sakes this ain't gettin my breakfast she ejaculated with a hurried glance at the clock and the little shelf above the stove there was nothing apparently to distinguish breakfast that morning from a dozen other breakfasts that had gone before keith and his father talked cheerfully of various matters and susan waited upon them with her usual briskness if susan was more silent than usual and if her eyes sought keith's face more frequently than was her habit no one apparently noticed it susan did fancy however that she saw a new tenseness in keith's face a new nervousness in his manner but that perhaps was because she was watching him so closely and because he was so constantly in her mind owing to her apprehension as to how he would take the news of john mcguire's blindness from the very first susan had determined not to tell her news until after mr burton had left the house she could not have explained it even to herself but she had a feeling that it would be better to tell keith when he was alone she planned also to tell him casually as it were in the midst of other conversation not as if it were the one thing on her mind in accordance with this therefore she forced herself to finish her dishes and to set her kitchen in order before she sought keith in the living-room but keith was not in the living-room neither was he on the porch or anywhere in the yard with a troubled frown on her face susan climbed the stairs to the second floor keith's room was silent and empty so far as human presence was concerned so too was the studio in every other room on that floor in the front of the attic stair susan hesitated the troubled frown on her face deepened as she glanced up the steep narrow stairway she did not like to have keith go off by himself to the attic and already now twice before she had found him up there poking in the drawers of an old desk that had been his father's he had shut the doors quickly and laughingly turned aside her questions when she had asked him what in the world he was doing up there and he had got up immediately and gone downstairs with her but she had not liked the look on his face and to-day as she hesitated at the foot of the stairs she was remembering that look but for only a moment resolutely when she lifted her chin ran up the stairs and opened the attic door over at the desk by the window there was a swift movement but not so swift that susan did not see the revolver pushed under some loose papers is that you susan asked keith sharply yes honey i just came up to get something susan's face was white like paper and her hands were cold and shaking but her voice except for a certain breathlessness was cheerfully steady with more or less noise and with a running fire of it inconsequent comment she rummaged among the trunks and boxes gradually working her way toward the desk where keith still sat at the desk with a sudden swift movement she thrust the papers to one side and dropped her hand on the revolver at the same moment keith's arm shot out and his hand fell covering hers she saw his young face flush and harden and his mouth set into stern lines susan 
you'll be good enough please to take your hand off that he said then sharply there was a moment's tense silence susan's eyes agonized and pleading were on his face but keith could not see that he could only hear her words a moment later light words with a hidden laugh in them yet spoken with that same curious breathlessness faith honey and how can i with your own hand holdin' mine so tight keith removed his hand instantly his set face darkened this is not a joke susan and i shall have to depend on your honor to let that revolver stay where it is unfortunately i'm unable to see whether i'm obeyed or not it was susan's turn to flush she drew back at once leaving the weapon uncovered on the desk between them i'm not taking the pistol keith the laugh was all gone from susan's voice now so too was the breathlessness and the voice was steady grave but very gentle we take matches and poisons and knives away from children not from grown men keith pistols right where you can reach it if you want it she saw the fingers of keith's hand twitch and tighten otherwise there was no answer after a moment she went on speaking but let me just say this it ain't like you to be a, a quitter keith she saw him wince but she did not wait for him to speak and after you've done this thing there ain't any one in the world gonna be so sorry as you'll be you mark my words it was like a sharp knife cutting a taut cord the tense muscles relaxed and keith gave a sudden laugh true it was a short laugh and a bitter one but it was a laugh you forget susan if if i carried that out i wouldn't be in the world to care shucks you'd be in some world keith burton and you know it and you'd feel nice looking down on the mess you made of this world wouldn't you well if i was looking i'd be seeing wouldn't i cut in the youth grimly don't forget susan that i'd be seeing please seeing ain't everything keith burton just remember that there's some things you'd rather be blind than see and that's one of em besides seeing ain't the only sensible you've got and there's such a lot of things you can do and oh yes i know interrupted keith fiercely flinging out both his hands i can feel a book and eat my dinner and i can hear the shouts of the people cheering the boys that go marching by my door but i'm tired of it all i tell you i can't stand it i can't susan yes i know that's a cheap way out of it he went on after a choking pause with a wave of his hand towards the revolver on the desk and a cowardly one too i know all that and maybe i wouldn't have have done it to-day even if you hadn't come i found it last week and it fascinated me it seems such an easy way out of it since then i've been up here two or three times just to to feel it somehow i like to know it was here and that if if it couldn't stand things another minute but i've tried to be decent honest i have but i'm tired of being amused and tended to like a ten-year-old boy i don't want flowers and jellies and candies brought to me i don't want to read and play solitaire and checkers week in and week out i want to be over there doing a man's work look at ted and tom and jack green and john mcguire john mcguire it was a faltering cry from susan but keith did not even hear what are they doing what am i doing 
Yet you people expect me to sit here contented with a dice box and a deck of playing cards and be glad I can do that much? Oh, well, I suppose I ought to be, but when I sit here alone day after day and think and think— But Keith, we don't want you to do that, interposed Susan feverishly. Now there's Miss Dorothy. If you'd only let her— but I tell you, I don't want to be babied and pitied and tended to by young women who are sorry for me. I want to do the helping part of the time. And if I see a girl I, I could care for, I want to be able to ask her like a man to marry me. And then, if she says yes, I want to be able to take care of her myself, not have her take care of me and marry me out of pity and feed me fudge and flowers. And there's Dad. Keith's voice broke and stopped. Susan watched his impassioned face, wet her lips, and swallowed convulsively. Then Keith began again. "'Susan, do you know the one big thing that drives me up here every time in spite of myself? It's the thought of Dad. How do you suppose I feel to think of Dad peddling peas and beans and potatoes down in McGuire's grocery store? Dad!' Susan lifted her head defiantly. "'Well, now look here, Keith Burton, let me tell you that peddlin' peas and bees and potatoes is just as honorary as paintin' pictures, and—' "'I'm not saying it isn't,' cut the boy incisively. "'I'm merely saying that, as I happen to know, he prefers to paint pictures, and I prefer to have him. And he'd be doin' it this minute if it wasn't for his having to support me, and you know it, Susan.' "'Well, what of it? It don't hurt him any.' It hurts me, Susan, and then I think of all the things he'd hoped of me. I was going to be Jerry and Ned and myself, and I was going to make him so proud, Susan, so proud. I was going to make up to him all that he had lost. All day under the trees, on top of the hill, I used to lie and dream of what I was going to be some day, the great pictures I was going to paint for Dad, the great fame that was going to come to me for Dad, the money I was going to earn for Dad. I saw Dad, old and white-haired, leaning on me. I saw the old house restored, all the locks and keys and sagging blinds, the cracked ceiling and tattered wallpaper, all made fresh and new. And Dad so proud and happy in it all, so proud and happy, that perhaps he'd think I really had made up for Jerry and Ned and his own lost hopes. And now look at me, useless, worse than useless, all my life a burden to him and to everybody else. Susan, I can't stand it. I can't. That's why I want to end it all. It would be so simple, such an easy way out. Yes, it would, for quitters. Quitters always take easy ways out. But you ain't no quitter, Keith Burton. Besides, twouldn't end it. You know that. Twould just be shutting the door of this room and opening the one to the next. You've had a good Christian bringing up, Keith Burton, and you know as well as I do that your eternal, immortal soul ain't going to be snuffed out of existence by no pistol shot, no matter how many times you pull the jigger. Keith laughed, and with the laugh his tense muscles relaxed. All right, Susan, he shrugged a little grimly. I'll concede your point. You made it perhaps better than you know, but... "'Well, it isn't so pleasant always to be the hook, you know,' he finished bitterly. "'The hook?' frowned Susan. Keith laughed again grimly. "'Perhaps you've forgotten, but I haven't. 
I heard you talking to Mrs. McGuire one day. You said that everybody was either a hook or an eye, and that more than half the folks were hooks hanging on to somebody else, and that's why some eyes had more than their share of hooks hanging on to them. You see, I remember, I knew then, when you said it, that I was a hook, and— Keith Burton, I never thought of you when I said that, interrupted Susan agitatedly. Perhaps not, but I did. Why, Susan, of course I'm a hook, an old, bent, rusty hook. But I can hang on, oh, yes, I can hang on to anybody that will let me. But, Susan, don't you see? Sometimes it seems as if I'd give the whole world if just for once I could feel that I— that someone was hanging on to me that I was of some use somewhere. And so you're going to be, honey. I know you be, urged Susan eagerly. Just remember all them fellers that wrote books and give lecturing and— Oh, yes, I know, interposed Keith with a faint smile. You were a good old soul, Susan, to read me all those charming tales, and I understood, of course, what you were doing it for. You wanted me to go and do likewise. But I couldn't write a book to save my soul, Susan, and my voice would stick in my throat at the second word of a lecturing. But there'll be something, Keith. I know there'll be something. God never locked up the doors of your eyes without giving you the key to some other door, and just that you hadn't found it yet. Perhaps I certainly haven't found it, that's sure, retorted the lad bitterly. And just why he saw fit to send me this blindness— we don't have to know interposed susan quickly and questioning about it don't settle nothing anyhow if we've got it we've got it and if it's something we can possibly help the only questioning worth anything then is how we're going to stand it you see there's more than one way of standing things yes i know there is keith stirred restlessly in his seat and some ways is better than others there there susan i know just what you're going to say and it's all very true of course cried keith stirring still more restlessly but you see i don't happen to feel like hearing it just now oh yes i know i've got lots to be thankful for i can hear and feel and taste and walk and i should be glad for all of them and i am of course I should declare that all's well with the world, and that both sides of the street are sunny, and that there isn't any shadow anywhere. There, you see, I know all that you would say, Susan, and I've said it, so as to save you the trouble. <laughs> commented Susan, bridling a little, then suddenly she gave a sly chuckle. That's all very well and good, Master Keith Burton, but there's one thing I would have said if I was doing the saying. Well, about that both sides of the street being sunny seems to me that the man that says yes he knows one side is shady and troublous but that he thinks it'll be healthier and happier for him and everybody else walking round him if he walks on the sunny side and then walks there seems to me he's got the spots all knocked off that fellow that says there ain't no shady side Keith gave a low laugh, a laugh more nearly normal than Susan had heard him give for several days. "'All right, Susan, I'll accept your amendment, and we'll let it go at that. One side is shady, and that I'm supposed to determinedly pick the sunny side. Anything more?' "'More?' "'That you came up to say to me. Yes, you know, I've just saved you the trouble of saying part of it.' "'Oh!' Susan laughed light-heartedly. 
This was Keith, her Keith that she knew. No, that's all. Uh, she stopped short in dismay. All the color and lightness disappeared from her face, leaving it suddenly white and drawn. That is, she faltered, there was something else I was going to say about, about John McGuire. He— I don't care to hear it, Keith had frozen instantly into frigid aloofness. Stern lines had come to his boyish mouth. But, but, Keith, Miss McGuire came over to— To read another of those precious letters, of course, cut in Keith angrily. But I tell you, I don't want to hear it. Do you suppose a caged bird likes to hear of the woods and the fields and the treetops while he's tied to a three-inch swing between two gilt bars? Well, hardly. There's lots that I have to stand, Susan, but I don't have to stand that. Susan caught her breath with half a sob. But, Keith, I wasn't going to tell you of woods and fields and treetops this time, you see. Now, he's in a cage himself. What do you mean? He's coming home. He's blind. Keith leaped from his chair. Blind? John McGuire? Yes. Oh. Long years of past suffering and future woe filled the short little word to bursting as Keith dropped back into his chair. For a moment he sat silent, his whole self held rigid. Then, unsteadily, he asked the question, What happened? They don't know. It was a dispatch that came this morning. He was blind, and, and he's on his way home, that's all. That's enough. Yes, I knew you'd understand. Yes, I do understand. Susan hesitated. Keith still sat with his unseeing gaze straight ahead, his body tense and motionless. On the desk within reach lay the revolver. Cautiously, Susan half extended her hand toward it, then drew it back. She glanced again at Keith's absorbed face, and then turned and made her way quietly down the stairs. At the bottom of the attic flight, she glanced back. He won't touch it now, I'm sure, she breathed. And anyhow, we only take knives and poisons away from children, not grown men. End of chapter 23 Recording by Sunny